Life episode 78. I'm Jessica Duffy and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. Just to remind you that this podcast is not designed to replace your current medical treatment and is for educational purposes only. As always I want to thank our first sponsor today BU. These guys are the makers of the incredible period patches that I love and also a beautiful organic CBD range, menstrual cup and chafing cream and they really are one of the pioneers of natural and really quite revolutionary period care, in my opinion. I have seen these period patches change people's experience of their periods so dramatically and their experience of endometriosis so dramatically. And they are really one of the first things that I recommend to my clients if my clients are going through a flare-up or it's taken a while for their symptoms to calm down and for us to implement changes. I still want to provide my clients with something that's going to provide relief, you know, in that current moment. And I always recommend BU period patches because I just believe in them so much and they have helped me so much and they're natural and it's just when you are so commonly faced with all of these different drugs that can have side effects, um, they have their place, but sometimes you just want a more uh, side effect free option. So um, I absolutely love these patches. They've been helping me through a interstitial cystitis flare up that I've been going through recently. You can find out all about that on Instagram. (laughs) Um, And If you want to try the BU patches for yourself, you can just head to the link in my show notes or go straight to their website, which is buonline.co.uk. So that's B-E-Y-O-U online.co.uk. If you are in the US or in Canada, you can actually also order your BU patches from Cult Beauty and they will ship to the US or to Canada. So that's cultbeauty.co.uk. Let me know how you get on with them. I just wanted to give a shout out to my lovely new sponsors and fellow endo queens, Semaine. Semaine is a natural plant-based supplement designed by twin sisters of endo, Catherine and Lauren. They've been on the show before. If you want to go back and have a listen, it is episode 61. The supplement is designed to reduce inflammation and pain signals during our period and taken over several months works to reduce cumulative inflammation, which is so common in people with endometriosis. Semaine is made up of nine natural ingredients, which have been shown in studies to reduce pain and inflammation in people with endo or painful periods. Semaine even studied the effectiveness of their supplement and found that people who tried Semaine experienced a 90% reduction in bloating, 70% had reduced pelvic pain and 50% felt less overwhelmed and anxious, which is crazy. I would, I'm so excited to receive my, my bottle. Um, okay. If you want to try Semaine, they are currently offering 15% off with your first order and they deliver worldwide. The link is in my show notes or you can just head to www.semainehealth.com. That's S-E-M-A-I-N-E. I would love to hear how you get on with them. 
So today's episode is the second part of my interview with Molly Robertson. Molly is a registered nutritional therapist specialised in endometriosis and is the founder of The Endo Expert. If you're not following her on Instagram already, I totally recommend it. I find her posts so fascinating. And our interview was so long and we had so much fun chatting that we decided to split it into two episodes. So if you haven't listened to the first episode, then go back. It's last week's. It's number 77. Sorry, some guy is like, I don't know, scraping cement outside. There is always works, always works by my house. Um, and yeah, go back to listen to episode 77. And in that episode, Molly and I dived into her story of endo and her experience of eating for endometriosis. And what we really discussed is how the changes she made began to become obsessive. And Molly felt she was losing not just like her joy of food, but really her joy of life um, as her eating habits became more and more rigid. So in the second and final part of our interview, we talk about what to do if endometriosis eating or the idea of endometriosis diet or an elimination diet triggers any kind of disordered eating behaviors or uncomfortable feelings around that for you and how you can eat for endometriosis healthily you know reduce that inflammation get on top of that pain while still enjoying your food and having a good healthy relationship with the foods that you eat. Molly was such a delight to talk to um, I'm sure you can tell how much I enjoyed this interview and I'm sure you're going to love the second part of this. So here she is. For people who want to or feel that they need to start being mindful of what they're eating, but they feel like they could also be triggered. What's your kind of like triggered in terms of like disordered eating? What What's your approach there? Yeah, I mean, that's a really, really good question. I mean... I think really listening to your body is it can be so powerful. So I think certain certain things like dairy and gluten, I think can be so easily substituted nowadays. Yeah. That I haven't found people feeling triggered over them because there are so many amazing substitutes like there is bread and there is gluten-free bread like done you know but yeah yeah beyond bread in the UK by the way people is awesome yeah tried beyond bread love it so good so much so good there are some fantastic brands like another one of my favorites is the artisan bread organic company Okay, I don't know what this is, but I'm literally going to Google this whilst we're talking. It's super good. So they do like these little square loaves of gluten-free breads and they do a buckwheat one and a quinoa one that are really good. They are like, they're going to be pricier than the ones that you find in the supermarket. But the thing is with the ones in the supermarkets, they normally contain some really rubbishy ingredients. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them contain processed soy as well which is one of the things that I found can be one of the biggest triggers for any yeah, yeah, I really agree with that. So I think make, if you love bread and bread is kind of a staple in your life, then I would definitely invest 
a bit more money. I sound like, what am I even talking about? Like if anyone else heard this, but you know, if you're in nutrition world and you'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. A bit more money and a really good gluten-free bread can be so game changing and in how, in my, in your enjoyment of being on a gluten-free diet. Does that make sense? Oh my God. I'm a, yeah, I'm exactly the same. Like I, I will prioritize like that over other things because I need to eat and I need to eat well. So, you know, that has to come first. Um, there's another brand called Rana's um, Break Bakery. Yes. Have you tried oh that? Oh my gosh, she does yeah. the best, like the bagels. bagels. <laughs> <laughs> I love them so much. Yes, Rana's is incredible. Um, yeah, but yeah there are, there are, so good. Yeah, there are brilliant, brilliant brands now. So, and as well with dairy, like, the Nush, um, mm, love Nush, like dairy-free. What are they called? Like um, cream cheese alternative. Yeah, and yogurt. And yogurts, like all of these amazing coconut-based yogurts, things like that. There are so many alternatives. I mean, when I went dairy and gluten-free, it was coming on seven years. That was big. Like back, I mean, it's, it's only seven years ago, but back then, I mean. You're lucky if you got like a rice milk in a supermarket, especially if you're not living in London or something, a big city, like out in the in the countryside. It's like if you get a rice milk, you are lucky. So nowadays, I I from my experience working in practice, people are fairly comfortable being, you know, dairy and gluten-free. So it's more, I think, a big trigger for people can be sugar that's so interesting you said that because so I did a free challenge Facebook challenge over the past four weeks for January and I wanted to it's hard it's hard being I'm sure you know this like a nutritionist and a coach like it the changes have to come from the client and you you know there are some things that you feel like oh you know if that was tweaked you know, that could, when you're watching them suffering and and inside you're like, oh, maybe if we could just like reduce your sugar down, that could be really helpful. You don't say it, but you, you know, you kind of want to say it sometimes. And I was like, okay, there are things that I want to put in this challenge that would be like, let's do a week reducing gluten and things like that. But I was like, no, I'm going to focus on adding in water because a lot of people aren't drinking enough water and that helps with elimination and energy and brain fog, um, elimination of, sorry, excess estrogen and things. We did adding in antioxidants the second week. So fruits and vegetables. Um, and then the, the third week I did an option to either reduce your sugar, but just in one area, just like if you had sugar in your coffee to maybe like, you know, reduce that by a teaspoon or swap it for stevia um or if you had like a fruit juice every morning could you swap it for water with some strawberries in it kind of thing but if people were triggered by that they could add in um turmeric and ginger because they're really powerful anti-inflammatories and it was so interesting so many people opted for the turmeric and ginger challenge because they didn't they couldn't cope with the idea of they felt like the reducing sugar was really, really triggering. And I wonder if it's partly because sugar in the Western world is our comfort mm. and we associate it with pleasure and it feels quite scary and it feels like very diety to say no sugar. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I know. Yeah, it does. It feels. Um, and I I think as well, like there are lots of um, other kind of nutritionists and big platforms who on kind of like Instagram and stuff who really demonize the demonization of sugar. Yeah, I think we're in a we're in a um, I think we're in a climate where without kind of like saying who it is, there's like some kind of competition between like dietitians and nutritionists and health coaches. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, some people say that you should never eat sugar. Well, I believe. Yeah. And it's just like, this isn't helpful. You guys are just yeah. having a war and it's just confusing the fuck out of us. Yeah, I know. It's so true. Like that is literally what I feel like. And I feel like sugar, probably sugar, dairy and gluten are the main ones. But for yeah. some reason, sugar's been like the biggest one but I think what what I try and do as a nutritional therapist especially being specialized in endo is to really highlight that everyone is individual everyone's body is individual and what works for a regular person might not work if you've got endometriosis oh, it's so true yeah you know so it's like it's it's all well and good saying like we shouldn't be demonizing sugar when it's actually a really individual thing. And if you're, oh, if you yeah, are, so totally, yeah, if you're totally like, you know, you are in a really bad place with your endo, you're constantly flared up, you're in loads of pain. That kind of message is really unhelpful because it then makes you second guess, you know, what you should be doing. And, and again, like, because I'm from this world of like having experience with disordered, with disordered eating, it's not about it's not about restricting sugar it's just about pointing you towards alternatives um and so i always i mean if i'm going to reduce sugar with someone or or, or how, you know suggest that they reduce sugar it's always like these are all the tools that you can use so like having unsweetened dairy free yogurts i mean koyo vanilla yogurt so good is, amazing and there's no sugar in it and they have I literally have a sugar-free cheesecake in my recipe that's got no sugar in it at all yeah and it's a koyo is like the base mixed with um a bit of cacao butter and nush cream cheese and that's the base of the that's the cheese bit obviously not the biscuit base that's like walnuts and cashew butter and stuff but there's no sugar in it and you really wouldn't know incredible and that that's the thing it's it's sort of about changing the narrative around eliminating these these main foods. So I think eliminating like the elimination diets are are not what I'm discussing right now. It's just these main dairy, gluten, and sugar, and possibly the genetically modified soy as well. Um, but obviously, dairy, gluten, and sugar are kind of like big parts of our diet in the West. It's just changing the narrative on what it is to be free from those foods or not free from those foods but you know to not eat those foods on a regular basis and and actually if we can just point all these amazing alternatives just eating fresh fruits you know there is nothing wrong with fruit for a lot of people and I know that some people can be you know if you're if you're really struggling you might be more sensitive to kind of tropical fruits and things but actually just to give you that like that sweetness that you're missing, like a peach or a nectarine or, you know, some berries, like it can really hit that spot. And I know like 
it's not a chocolate bar. I get it. But actually just, just changing our idea. And I always think of like, what would your grandma have eaten? It's because, it's because we're in this society where it's normalized to eat that standard American diet, you know, that like standard American diet where you're like chocolate, crisps, like cakes, biscuits, all of these things are so normal. But actually a hundred years ago, the way we're eating would have been more normal, you know, to have no or low sugar would have been just really normal and actually just really enjoying it when you have it is really special. So having like a slice of birthday cake or two when it's your birthday, enjoying stuff at Christmas, like it's not about never having them. It's just about making those moments special. Yeah. And it's really interesting that you have brought this up because um, I feel like everything we're talking about today is really on theme with a lot of things that are going on with just the different people that I'm working with at the moment. But like, for example, with sugar, I always feel like I'm towing this line where like my body is very sensitive to sugar. So obviously, and I, it sounds like you're in a kind of similar boat in terms of like both of us are a bit more mindful around dates and it's not about like demonizing tropical fruits. But for me, I couldn't eat a banana or a date on the week that I'm due on my period. Like it's going to have a knock on effect on my period. I'm going to, I'm going to feel it really badly by that point but if I was to have um tropical fruit during my ovulatory phase I would be fine but I I would always I would still be mindful of like how much I was having because the sugar can obviously like easily add up so I prioritize I eat fruit every day but I just prioritize um low sugar fruits like you were saying like blue you know, blackberries, blueberries, raspberries, um, apricots, just low, you know, I just have a low, lower sugar fruits, or if I want higher sugar fruits, then I just portion, like, I'm just, you know, I, I think about how much sugar that I am, you know, able to have, and I just portion appropriately. Um, and it sounds, for some people, that might sound really restrictive, like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to have to portion my fruit. But it it means that I can have like pineapple or I can have mango or I can have pomegranate in my diet. It just means that I don't have it with the pain. You know, if I eat it at particular points or I have it at particular, um, you know, in particular quantities, but what's your kind of perspective on that? Because, um, I've been talking to someone recently and they were like, Oh, you know, can I have, can I have dates? Can I have fruit juice? Um, can I have certain fruits? Can I put like apple puree into cakes instead of sugar? And it's that careful line of being like, fruits are great. They're so full of nutrients. But also if you're putting like, you know, you're sweetening a cake with like two cups of apple puree and then some apple juice then and dates, <laughs> you might want to be like, aware of that like do do you know what I mean like what's your kind of what's your kind of approach when it comes to those gray areas because I think people when I first started eating for endo I was confused by this and I was at in the beginning I was like oh it's cool I will not eat white sugar and I'll just eat maple syrup and coconut sugar and dates and Mm -hmm. my pain was still bad 
And then it was when I realized actually it's still sugar and I began to be, I don't really eat maple syrup now. Uh, I just don't even think to because I have other options. Um, Now I know the difference and I know where my body is comfortable being, but what's your kind of approach with sugar and natural sugars and how that may or may not trigger someone's, um, yeah, kind of issues around eating? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's a really, really great, great question. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say like the like most boring word that I think everyone <laughs> dreads a nutritional therapist saying, but moderation. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really, really important part of managing disordered behaviors. It's about allowing yourself to have these things, but knowing where your personal you know boundary is on in terms of like if I eat three dates oh wow oh interesting I get pelvic pain okay next time I'll eat two and see oh okay I can eat two dates without pelvic pain like awesome you know just just testing the waters and being really in tune and getting to know your body um is such a powerful tool because then we really are our own expert what is our body you know and and if if we can get to know what works for us we can find what moderation means to us um and I think you said something about kind of like cycling um your foods kind of so like you wouldn't eat the dates or bananas like in the week leading up to a period and I honestly like I am so into food cycling. Yeah. Um, do you use, did I, you read Woman Code? I did. And I've got in, <laughs> is it in the flow? I've got in the flow on my bookshelf. I'm like, oh, has it come out already? It has come oh out Oh my gosh. Already. Oh my I gosh. That's so behind. I was waiting for it to come out. <laughs> okay. I'm ordering like, that after yeah, this. I'm so excited. And I, I've actually been listening to some podcasts of Elisa Vitti, like talking about in the flow. And I'm like, yeah, she's the guru, so isn't she? She's like, bow awesome. down. Absolutely, such a queen. So I think that actually can be a really fantastic tool for people who struggle with disordered eating. Um, being able to know, like, okay, do you know what? I'm I'm not gonna have these dates or the, the cake or whatever because I'm two days away from my period and it's probably going to give me more pain. But you know what? I'm not not going to have it ever. I'm going to wait until my ovulatory phase. I'm going to really enjoy it then. And, you know, just then you can allow yourself to eat everything, but you're cycling it. And, And it's, I don't know, I just, there's something about that method that just seems to work really well for people who have a kind of complicated relationship with food. So that is definitely something I would encourage um, especially, you know, in terms of when you're in your ovulatory phase, your your sensitivity to insulin is a lot better. So, you know, that is a good time to kind of have those those fun things, maybe have like a, a baking afternoon and sweeten that cake with some apple puree. You know, it's like, it's just about being really inclusive and enjoying all the things you want to enjoy, but just not all the time and not never, which would then result in a binge for you. So I hope that's kind of answered the question. It's I think moderation and cycling foods can be a really good tool, especially for sugary things. Um, yeah. 
in kind of managing that. No, I, I completely agree. And definitely the kind of um, replacement. I think that's been the biggest, the biggest thing for me is learning how to make things. Well, first, firstly, like your taste buds adjust. Um, Absolutely. So, so much. Yeah. And so things are like sweet. Like I think the... I, I don't feel like I just eat like a, st- a standard cake very often, but we went to, um, I can't even remember the name of the, the place now, somewhere near Bristol. Um, and we had these, there was these vegan gluten-free cakes and they were like dreamy looking. They were so pretty and they weren't kind of like healthy. They, they, you know, they were kind of made with standard like white sugar and stuff, but they looked yeah. amazing. So I had one and it was so sweet that it was like, it just, kind of tastes like sugar like I couldn't even taste the flavor but I'm pretty sure that's probably what like your average cake tastes like but I can't I can't my my taste buds are you know changed now so I much prefer less sweet with more flavor um and so your taste buds change but then also just kind of like creating exciting you know dishes like today I was googling um black beans obviously a theme right now but <laughs> black bean um chocolate mousse um Ooh. you know obviously um cookie dough like chickpea cookie dough is a lovely one with like cacao nibs yeah. and just playing around with things like that um even just making your own popcorn and using um do you use true the inulin syrup the chicory syrup yeah yeah I really like that and I've seen you using it it on your Instagram yeah it's really cool I love that yeah it's really good for anyone who's in the UK um I don't know if they have something similar in other countries I'm not sure but um we do our we make popcorn with um just you know Himalayan sea salt and true and the true really works because it just kind of like dries sort of instantly on the warm popcorn so it's it it very reminiscent of like cinema popcorn oh that sounds yeah so it's amazing. really good so just you can just experiment and and find alternatives and um it feels good to have those options and to know that you're still like you don't have that same like mental anguish of like oh I shouldn't be eating this because you're like well, yeah, it's, this is, this is good for me. This is feeding me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's no, honestly, that's so helpful because sugar has just been a, a theme that's been coming up. So I'm really, really glad that you mentioned that. So for you, like personally and with your clients, you kind of like those three gluten, dairy and sugar are kind of some of your key areas that you would focus on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if people are, you know, up for it, if they feel like they can handle it, I I would always suggest, I mean, yeah, I, I was going to say not always, but actually, yeah, I think I always suggest um, reducing or eliminating dairy, gluten, and, and reducing sugar. Um, I, I just, I found it to be the three things that really make a huge difference. I mean, yeah, if I that's... Really agree. Yeah, that I I think if you only do that, you will instantly see some difference in your symptoms. Um, so yeah, and it's really that paired with like generally eating a healthy, balanced diet, lots of anti-inflammatory foods, fruits and veg, and spices, and 
kind of like a Mediterranean style um, diet. So if people eat meat, just kind of focusing on some good quality uh, kind of fatty fishes and um, uh, like poultry. I, I try, I always kind of suggest um, organic and like wild caught fish and meats. Um, and I, for me personally, in my practice, I do suggest having incorporating meat and fish um, into your diet if if that works for you. But it is so individual. Like I've been saying this whole time, you know, what works for one person won't work for another person. Um, but for people who do eat meat and find that they do well on meat, I don't often find unless they're eating a lot of processed meats like bacons and hams and things like that having I normally work with no more than three piece uh, three portions of red meat a week and that seems to as a rule of thumb work quite well for most people um if I was to generalize um but yeah so kind of just I think the most important thing that I've observed in my practice is the variety and amount of vegetables in someone's diet like that is such a huge thing if you can eat kind of between five to ten portions of vegetables a day that can make a huge huge difference and it's really impacting um the gut and the variety of the healthy bacteria that reside in the gut um, and you know the gut is where a lot of our immune system resides and obviously immune dysfunction is a huge part of endometriosis so supporting that can be really important and also lots of the kind of nutrients that you get from vegetables support our liver and support oxidative stress and inflammation and so yeah eating enough fruit and veg would be something that I would highlight and that's quite a simple thing that lots of people can can do without too much you know spending too much money or you know because we spoke about the gluten-free breads and they can be quite expensive but getting in more fruit and veg in your diet is a relatively inexpensive thing to do that can still make a huge huge difference yeah it's really I'm really glad that you brought those two up so the meat and the fruit and veg um because so fruit and veg has actually been um <laughs> has been another thing that I've been talking about recently like I said it was in my um free challenge and then mm-hmm. I wrote a article about um aiming to eventually get to between eight and 10 portions of fruit and vegetables a day to reduce inflammation and to support the detoxification systems and, you know, get Mm -hmm. the gut moving. And, um, I got a really aggressive comment, um, from someone saying like, this is really bad advice for some people. Um, that would put me in excruciating pain, um, because of IBS issues and stuff. And I had actually put in it like, you know, if you are sensitive and work with someone or consult your doctor, blah, blah, blah. But obviously what they're talking about is high FODMAP vegetables for people yes. with IBS. And I was wondering as, as a nutritionist, mm-hmm. would, if someone had, um, IBS issues and they were sensitive to high FODMAP foods, like, uh, 
broccoli bro- is broccoli a high no cauliflower is oh, a high fodmap yeah right? cauliflower brussels sprouts so a couple of like the cruciferous asparagus yeah. onions garlic lots of them are deemed as as high fodmap yeah would you would you just say like eat as many fruits and vegetables that your body is like that you can tolerate so if someone was because a lot of people are being put on the low FODMAP diet with no yeah. without being told that there's a phase two and a three so you mm. know that there's a phase to reintroduce um higher FODMAP foods and then you personalize the diet um and so they're scared of kind of like high FODMAP fruits and vegetables um what kind of would what what kind of approach would you take with increasing their um intake of fruits and veggies because i i've been speaking to people who are literally like eating one portion of vegetables a day because they're so scared of yeah. the effect that it's going to have on their stomach yeah oh my gosh yeah this is such a great question i think it's so oh yeah this topic is such a meaty topic I think it is it's it's none of it's black and white (laughs) no exactly yeah doctors seem to have really run with the whole low FODMAP thing for people with digestive issues I think the first thing I want to highlight is that if anyone comes to me experiencing lots of digestive symptoms bloating um, IBS anything like that I would really I mean I normally do a couple of functional tests with any client and I would I would be doing a stool test on these people yeah I think it's something like 80% of people who experience IBS also have SIBO SIBO. like the SIBO is the reason for the IBS so when we look at someone with digestive symptoms you haven't just got digestive symptoms and that's your lot there is something going on and it goes back to my kind of functional medicine training. Why have you got those symptoms? You yeah. can't just take away all of those FODMAP foods forever. Because yeah, like, and then just be like, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're the then symptoms, eating, still there. Exactly, exactly. You're managing the symptoms. But actually a lot of people find that eventually it doesn't quite hit the spot long-term and mm-hmm. then they might restrict a bit more and then a bit more. But taking away those foods doesn't get to the root of the issue. Is it a parasite? Is there gut dysbiosis? You know, is there SIBO? There, yeah. there is a, a reason that these symptoms are presenting. And it's it's about being curious and, and investigating what is going on underneath um, underneath those symptoms. So doing a stool test can be really, really helpful in finding out what's going on in the gut because I really, really don't like working with the FODMAP diet. Um, I just think it's so restrictive. Like if you, yeah. yeah, if you get a full list of the FODMAP, the foods high in FODMAPs, it's extensive. It is so many foods. And if you give it to someone, um, so for example, like there are some clients I've had who, whose doctors have given it to them, just a list of foods and then just left them. Yeah, no, they're not told no support. They try to reintroduce them at yeah. some point. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So they're left and they may be on this diet for years. And actually in that time, the whole environment of their gut has changed because they've been on such a restrictive diet. So yeah, I I would always be curious about what is actually going on underneath those symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would really be 
if someone's already on a FODMAP diet, I would do a reintroduction slowly um, because normally with a FODMAP diet, a person might only be sensitive to like one or two things. Yeah. And actually they can eat all of these things that they thought they couldn't. Yeah. And it might just be mushrooms or it might just be leeks. You know, it, it's it's really interesting. So if they're already on it, I would do a slow reintroduction, be very mindful of the body, really notice what's going on for you. Um, if they were presenting with IBS symptoms and I wanted to increase the amounts of vegetables that they were having, I would probably be doing a stool test first and foremost to see what's going on. And then in the meantime, I would, again, I'd be getting them to eat the veg that, you know, we that we discuss maybe that's only the five portions of vegetables a day see how they go and then we'd be getting their results back viewing what's going on in their gut and then we can make amendments you know we can address the SIBO we can address the gut dysbiosis or whatever it is that's going on for them and then eventually the gut should be in a state where it's ready to receive those nutrients it, it isn't going to ferment them um you know and, and then you can eat a really inclusive diet with lots of fruits and vegetables in but it's a process and i would say if anyone's got really severe digestive symptoms and you've got endo i would really encourage you to seek help from a health practitioner seek help sorry from a health practitioner mm-hmm. um because doing it on your own is really confusing and it's yeah. really, really tough. And, you know, it can it can just be really overwhelming. So, you know, it is a, a proper process of, of having a look at what's going on inside the gut. Um, because normally it is only one or two or maybe no foods that are an issue anymore if you've been on a FODMAP long term. Um, I hope that did that make sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I it's just really interesting because I yeah, this comment was really aggressive and yeah, and I just thought like I know that there's a couple of people that I've worked with who have been put on a FODMAP diet and have actually been tested positive for SIBO, had a round of antibiotics. It's obviously come back. You know, the doctors are refusing to test again because they're like, well, you had one round, it would be fine. Even though Mm -hmm. in most cases you need several rounds of like antimicrobial herbs or or antibiotics um, supported by diet. And so people are just kind of terrified to eat more vegetables. So I just thought if someone's commenting, then someone listening might be wondering the same thing. Um, So that's so helpful. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. BU make natural, organic products to help us to manage our periods, sleep well, and achieve a greater sense of well-being. Their product line is expanding all the time with just amazing products that I, I love. I'm so happy that this company exists because they're natural for a start. And they really focus on menstrual well-being. And that's just so important to me. They have a CBD balm, CBD drops, CBD sprays um, that can all help you to manage your um, menstrual pain. They have patches which you can use during the beginning of your period and the lead up to your period to soothe pain and the endometriosis community love them. There's also the sleep pillow mist 
So if you're really trying to improve your sleep or you're trying to reduce levels of anxiety when you're sleeping, the Sleep Pillow Mist is just full of soothing essential oils to help with that. They have a menstrual cup now and a menstrual cup foaming cleanser. Um, so if you can wear menstrual cups, then I totally recommend BU. Their cup is made with um, 100% soft medical grade silicone. There's no PBA, no latex, no dye. As I said, all of their products are natural. The company are really committed to women's rights, menstrual health, and good quality products. And I mean, obviously, I know them personally because they're my sponsors and they're just a lovely company to support. So if you're interested in having a look at their range, the link is in my show notes. Um, I would love to hear what you think and how you get on with them. Be you. Start soothing period cramps a natural way. This episode is also sponsored by my free endometriosis diet grocery, grocery list. This download gives you basically a lowdown of what I eat every week on um, a monthly basis and my personal take on the endometriosis diet. It's not a protocol, set protocol that you have to or should follow, but it is here to serve you, give you inspiration and help you see what eating for endometriosis might look like in real life. It's there for you to kind of take inspiration from and help you put your own approach together. To download it, just head to my show notes and follow the link to get your free copy. And then in terms of me, um, I've not talked about this massively on the podcast Um and I have talked about it in my book. So I've kind of gone through the studies and stuff. Um, the reason being is because meat is such a touchy subject. Um, mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk about it with a dietitian or nutritionist. Um, but I'm, I'm really interested in what you're having, what you said about it. Because I, before I started eating for endo, I was already vegetarian. Okay. For ethical reasons. And then mm-hmm. obviously I... I cut out dairy for endo um, and so and I, I cut out eggs as well because I like know some people can be sensitive to them and I wasn't quite sure mm. so I was just like I'm just gonna and I wasn't quite sure about like the hormones and dioxins so I was just like I'm just gonna eliminate eggs um, so I went vegan and but I'm very kind of very responsible with that you know I make sure I'm you know taking b12 supplements get my vitamin d3 with k2 and um you know really conscious that i'm getting enough protein and iron and calcium and things but some people really i'm I'm noticing like a divide where some people who talk about hormones and periods are really like big advocates for meat and then some people are uh against it and say like Mm -hmm. you know don't eat it at all because there's even if it's organic then there's you know a buildup of toxins in the environment and um meat has like red meat has been linked with a a high risk of endometriosis and things like that so I just wondered from my understanding is exactly what you're saying so a moderate amount like three to four portions of um lean organic grass-fed meat plus fatty fish um if you are going to eat meat is a good amount rather than kind of eating loads and eating processed like process seems to be really linked with 
higher levels of inflammation, um, which we know aggravates endo. So I was wondering kind of like from a research perspective, like what's your thoughts on that? Because I think that the, the research around endometriosis and me, uh, although there still needs to be more research done, like they're not like, you know, the, the, the research that's linked red meat with higher risks of endometriosis, I don't think it was ever made clear what kind of red meat they were eating, like how mm-hmm. processed it was or whether they were getting it from McDonald's or an organic farm, you know. Um, yeah. And um, I'm not actually, off the top of my head, I can't think about the, um, if there's any studies that directly link like dioxins in meat, but we know that dioxins have been linked time and time and again to endometriosis. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of what's your perspective on that? Like having, I know that three, about three portions you're saying is, is good, but yeah. for anyone who's kind of like wondering, well, what's the benefits of having meat for endometriosis mm. and what should I be aware of when it comes to meat for endometriosis? Like what kind of things should we be considering? Cause I think there's fear there as well. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a really confusing area. There's lots and lots, like you say, of this for and against. And, you know, people are very loud about their opinions about red bean and endo. Um, I think what I would say, I'm. I, it's such an annoying thing to hear. But again, it, it does come down to this individuality. I mean, two of my um, my colleagues from my nutrition school, they uh, one of them's vegan and one of them just did uh, veganuary or vegan January. Yeah. Um, and, um, they had completely different experiences of how it affected their periods. And I know they, they don't have endometriosis, but one of them does really fantastically on a vegan diet, has loads of energy. I mean, she's been on it for a while now. Her periods are fantastic. And this other friend who did, um, vegan January, and was previously not a vegan, experienced experienced more cramps um, and where before she didn't actually experience cramps. And it could be other factors. Obviously, that's just a a kind of um, a story. It's not an actual study. But that's just to highlight that actually we are also individual. It depends on your genetics and it depends Mm. on, you know, the quality of the meat that you're able to get access to because not everyone can afford grass-fed organic meat because it can be insanely expensive. Um, So I think in that instance, sorry, if you're, if you can't access really good quality organic grass-fed red meat, I would probably suggest you don't eat it as much. Okay. So again, it is slightly dependent on how it makes you feel. If you if you have very heavy periods and you feel you do really well on red meat, you know, possibly you could have a bit more. But it is really important that the meat we're consuming uh, is as as kind of healthy as possible is that it's being grass-fed it's it's um it's not being fed antibiotics and and doesn't have as many hormones in you know it's it's the cleanest I don't really like that word but you know it's it's the the best quality meat mm-hmm. that we get because it really does affect um affect our health but um what was I going to say I think yeah so in in with meat in moderation is important because we've seen there is some evidence that 
um, higher intakes of red meat increase the um, incidence of, of endometriosis. So that's why I normally suggest people eat it in moderation, no more than about three portions of it a week. Um, but on the plus side, why do I suggest they eat meat at all for people who want to and, and feel happy to eat meat? Well, the amount of um, kind of protein that we can get from meat uh, is advantageous in terms of helping to balance our blood sugar. And I know you've spoken about it a lot, that balanced blood sugar is really important um, for hormonal health um, and for inflammation levels. So if we, you know, if we add a little bit of protein in the form of meat or, or poultry or fish to our meal, that's the kind of guaranteed um, protein source that is going to contribute to keeping our blood sugar levels stable. And I mean, I find vegan protein, although there are some responsible vegans, some people don't understand fully the amount of work that Mm. I I personally think actually needs to go into yeah you know creating vegan meals, meals so that they are stabilizing balance yeah. people just underestimate how much effort and time it takes to really think properly and considerately is this meal going to stabilize my blood sugar is this bowl of pasta with chopped tomatoes and basil actually going to balance my blood sugar it may be a perfectly fine meal but is it going to balance my blood sugar and I think it's easier I hate to say that because I'm not I am a very very conscious meat eater and I and I try and and convey that to my clients as well I'm not eating meat here there and everywhere but it is I mean, I, I don't feel like convenience sits well as a word to me, but it's, it's, it is an easier way of, of making balanced meals. And, and if you're eating as consciously as possible, um, because there are lots of times that I, I have plant-based meals because I'm dairy-free, when I have a, a vegetarian meal, it is a vegan meal. Yeah. And, and I probably eat chicken maybe twice, um, meat maybe twice, and then all of my other meals, breakfasts and lunches and some dinners will be plant-based, but mm-hmm. it does require more thinking through, you know, matching, matching proteins is a really, um, really lovely thing to do in terms of, uh, matching them in terms of beans and rice and, you know, other, other ways to match proteins. But I just want to highlight that as a factor in whether you want to eat, you know, plant-based or, or have a bit of meat is that for health reasons, the protein helps to stabilize blood sugar. And if you're going to have a vegan diet or a plant-based diet, really make that a consideration um, when you're planning and thinking about what you're eating, because that protein is really important for our blood sugar stability. Yeah, I think that's, it's so, so true. Like one of the reasons why you know, my, my cookbook took so long and it was just a self-published cookbook that was originally just going to be a PDF. It took so long because I wanted to be really responsible with what I put out there 
So, you know, I was literally having to measure the carbohydrates for every single practice wow. meal I did because that's I was amazing. like, that's I was so like, <laughs> well done. Like that, that is really <laughs> awesome. Cause I was like, I can't. And, and it was difficult. Cause I was like, well, I don't, I want to basically convey that this is important, but I don't want to freak people out either that yeah. they're like, Oh my God, I got to measure all the carbohydrates. So yeah, I was just yeah. like, did it for them. And, oh, yeah. you know, but it's difficult because some, like sometimes unless you're being conscious about the portion sizes you're doing you could quite easily have like you know a bean curry that's got a side of rice and your blood sugar goes through the roof because the portions aren't even though all of the food on that plate is great you've got vegetables you've got fiber you've got some good fats you know you've got some complex carbohydrates you've got some protein unless you're being mindful of the portions then your blood sugar can really go up and mm-hmm. that can dysregulate, you know, your hormones. And but then if you are going to go down that route of being conscious about the portion sizes, that can be really triggering. So it does, yeah, you, you've got to be in that kind of mind frame where you can do that. And I, like I said, I'm in a place where I feel that this is this is really um I love eating this way, so it's helpful for me. Um yeah. but it can you know, listeners will know that before I kind of did the nutrition side of my um, studies, I was talking to a lot of people on the show who were nutritionists who specialized in vegan hormones. And I was like, well, what's your approach to having beans that are complex carbohydrate with a grain? Like, what would you, you know, what's your approach? Because and and some of them would be like, well, I'd, you know, reduce the portions or I'd have one or the other, but then you, you know, some people don't want to have one or the other, you know, it, it, it messes up your kind of idea for a meal. If you want like a, a lentil bolognese with like a gluten-free pasta, right. You know, so it's just, mm-hmm. it's definitely, um, a complex one that yeah. I think does need consideration and, even today I was looking at, um, some healthy delivery services, um, you know, kind of pre-made meals and the vegan meals for dinners were like 60 grams of carbohydrate. And I was like, well, if you're eating that at like eight o'clock, then, (laughs) you know, you might have some trouble sleeping or find yourself waking up in the middle of the night because that's quite a lot of carbs to have just before dinner. Um, so it is really, it, it's definitely easier to balance your blood sugar with meat. Um, yeah. And, and it's not something that I, I don't eat meat. So it's, you know, it's not that um, I'm not against, I'm not against either of them. I just think that it needs to be explored and people need to really understand what, how to do it mindfully. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, I'm so glad that you talked about that because it's, it's such a complex one. Do you yeah. have a lot of people who are, who don't eat meat on with your, with your clients? most I would say most people do eat a little bit of meat but I have seen an increase in people wanting to try plant-based like there's lots of people in the endo community and my clients who are intrigued by how plant-based diet might help their symptoms Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I wonder whether a lot of the times though it is just that increase in fruits and veg that I yeah you know causes that that um kind of reduction in in pain and stuff um Mm. so yeah it's an interesting one yeah and something to like consider as well is that um 
you know, what we were talking about with the low digestive enzymes and the low stomach acid, that's something mm. that I'm dealing with at the moment. And um, I'm working with um, Jessica Drummond. She's she's my nutritionist oh, at the moment. Amazing. And um, she's, yeah, I'm really lucky because she's my tutor. So she's yeah. been helping me with, with my own diet. And basically she thinks because where I've kind of been under quite a lot of acute stress and obviously years of chronic fatigue and things, that... Mm my stomach acid is really low and my digestive enzymes. So I'm not actually absorbing the plant-based proteins properly. So as a result, my neurotransmitters are like really like my serotonin and my GABA are quite low. So I'm having like both mental and physical, like feelings of anxiety, um, but also like kind of ting- like numbness in my legs and my hands and mm-hmm. like loads of different things that are showing that like I'm not really getting amino acids. Um, yeah. Whereas obviously if you ate animal protein, that can be a little bit more easily absorbed than plant-based protein mm. um so she's, she's trying to get me to eat some meat at the moment <laughs> yeah so interesting. yeah but um I think I think we're gonna start with some um obviously we're gonna build up my digestive enzymes and my um stomach acid and yeah. see how I go there and and get in some amino acids through um supplements temporarily yeah. and yeah. see where we go um but it's yeah, it's it's really interesting because I guess that's something to consider. Like if your stomach acid is low or your digestive enzymes are low, are you actually managing to break down the protein? Because that's quite a big job of, of both of those. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just so fascinating. It could go. It like, is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But I mean that obviously that gets complex. So I don't want to freak anyone out, but um that's just my kind of geeky, like, yeah, I'm just interested <laughs> in nutrition. But going back to basics, like reducing the inflammation through being mindful of gluten dairy and um sugar but adding in those good you know the um fruits and vegetables and the the good fats and the good sources of protein that's kind of where you would go yeah yeah absolutely that is my kind of um my mantra for for the endo expert it's really those those that basis of excluding dairy gluten um, and reducing sugar uh, but including so many other things and I mean I I always make it my mission to support my clients with huge amounts of kind of um, changes and swaps and things for the dairy and gluten so that they don't feel deprived um and yeah just uh, focusing on that inclusion of foods all the things that they can eat which I know you know that's that's pretty standard practice for for even elimination diets but I I generally find that no dairy and gluten and reducing sugar with then just a an anti-inflammatory style uh diet works best for for most of my clients of course there are those those other cases um where a client might not be um, improving at the rate I would expect. Um, and then we can dig a little bit deeper to see what's going on. But for many, many people, that basic, you know, standard way of, of eating does do huge, huge things for improving their symptoms. And it's not overly complicated, which is why I love it so much, because you can still feel 
relax and you can still enjoy food and it's not you know it's not overly complicated and it just feels like a different way of being rather than like a whole life change and you know I mean it is in many ways a big lifestyle change but it's not you know it doesn't take over your life and that's why I really like that way of um of eating and and doing things yeah absolutely um (laughs) I just realized that this conversation is near and on two hours so I'm gonna let you go in a minute oh my god Um, but (laughs) but my last so my last guest on the show was Jessica Drummond um to talk about her new book um Mm -hmm. smart endometriosis and and her book is based around an elimination diet and the reason why she does that is because we talked about it on the show that um, if people are coming to her with like loads of different kind of complex issues, she said, even though it's it's strict for a short period of time, she'd do an elimination diet with them for four weeks so that mm. by the end of it, their symptoms are really subdued and you can int- reintroduce foods and get them eating a wide range of foods as soon as possible whilst understanding which ones are going to be the key triggers and um for me for example obviously I've not been eating gluten dairy and sugar for a long time but I'm still presenting with not period pain but bladder related pelvic pain Mm-hmm. Um, which of course heavily overlaps with endometriosis with like painful bladder syndrome and, and things like that. Um, yeah. and just some general odd pelvic pain that's not like related to my period, but it's just sometimes there. And, um, we actually think it's linked to oxalates and histamines. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, we are doing, we're, I'm, I'm waiting for my protocol um, now, um, but we will be doing like a histamine and oxalate um, elimination diet because I'm at this point where I'm just like, why well, I can't do any, you know, I can't do any more of the basics. Does that make sense? And yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that starting with the basics is so so helpful and like you're saying mm-hmm. if you if you're noticing that someone's not progressing or if someone's if someone likes to be full throttle and they're like do you know what I've done this for 10 I've been in this pain for 10 years I just want to know what the hell works mm-hmm. for me what doesn't then elimination diet might actually be really um helpful for just a short period of time like three to four mm-hmm. weeks maximum um mm-hmm. but then if someone feels that an elimination diet is triggering or they haven't tried anything yet anyway, then going with gluten, dairy and sugar is, you know, a really nice way to start. Do you you think that kind of sounds about right? Yeah. There's kind of a place for both. Absolutely. There's that I am, I'm not completely anti the elimination diets. It's just, um, I think in some people starting with that isn't always right. But like you say, there are other people who are just like, I've had enough. I feel really motivated and I want to do this now. And, and that can be a a great way of doing things for them. Um, yeah, I think in, yeah, I think that sometimes I like to rule out other things like high levels of stress or not totally 
following the other steps that we've agreed um yeah because you know, sometimes it's like are you actually doing it it's like, yeah yeah it's like, okay, like let's try that first because I don't always want to go for the eliminations of the foods if they don't necessarily need them you know mm-hmm. so I think just checking in actually the steps that we've covered are are being tried and then I my kind of two like secret weapons that I like to get everyone trying are our Vigo abdominal massage and castor oil packs and we don't have to go in on them too much but those are two things as well that I would definitely get someone to try first if they were um resistant to trying a elimination diet or because they have a history of eating disorders and I don't feel it's appropriate um those two things can be absolutely amazing at reducing symptoms of endo and pain they they honestly are like little miracle treatments so those are two things I definitely put into the plan if they were you know not not vibing with the whole elimination diet thing or it wasn't suitable for them so what were the so the castor oil packs definitely it's really interesting my friend um has suspected endo at the at the moment but she's never had period pain it's just suddenly come along um but it's like really presenting itself as endo and she's got fibroids as well and mm-hmm. I was like she was like I don't know what the hell to do so I was like have you got castor oil in the house she's like yeah so I put her told her what to do and literally she messaged me like half an hour later she was like oh my god I feel so much better so that was amazing um but what what was the what which type of abdominal massage did you say so it's Arvigo abdominal massage Arvigo. It's a, okay yeah it's a Mayan style technique of abdominal massage um and a lot of the time when you find an Arvigo practitioner they will also suggest castor oil packs okay um, and some other kind of self-care techniques um but the Arvigo abdominal massage is something that your practitioner will teach you and then you do it every single day um across your cycle up until about five days before your period starts and it can basically the massage it helps to break up adhesions or scar tissue Um, and basically it's just a gentle massage um, that can also help to align the uterus Mm -hmm. um, which can help to increase the blood flow to the uterus and ovaries Um, and basically the thinking is that if the uterus is out of place if it's slightly tilted forwards or backwards it can actually cause additional pain or Mm -hmm. kind of cramping um, during the period because it's not exactly in the right position for the blood to just flow easily out yeah um so those two things I just think are incredible so if anyone has tried you know to improve their diet and they're wondering about other things you know they, they haven't quite improved as much as they hoped or or they've just plateaued I would really encourage giving both of those things a go because they can be absolutely game changing. Um, I really, really love them. That's super helpful. Thank you so much. Um, mm-hmm. I have so many questions left for you, but I'm going to wrap up. So, no with the like, thank you so much for staying with me for so long. It's hilarious. Um, I'm such a talker. It's terrible. I know, me too. It's like a-, a topic that we both love so much. <laughs> I, know. I was actually saying, what was it last night that I was like, Oh, I ha- I listened back to an interview that I did with, have you heard of Sophie Whippy? No, I haven't. So she runs This Is Nave. She's a, um, a birth jeweler. 
but she has a podcast called Real Talk with Nave, and um, I was on the podcast and I really hate listening back to any interviews that I do, but I was like, no, I, I need to listen back to it because, you know, I said I would and she's so lovely. And, you know, so I listened back to it and I was like, Jesus Christ, I talk. And I was just like saying to my boyfriend, I was like, I really need to stop talking so much. And then here we are two hours into an interview. So, um, but yeah I mean everything you just say is so fascinating and I I know that like I can sometimes bring up really difficult questions because I kind of you know will throw a spanner and it works like well what about this but I think like (laughs) as someone who's done this on my own before I like trained in it these are kind of the questions that I would have had you know like the the nitty-gritty that you're like you're suddenly on your own trying to work out something. You're like, but it doesn't say that thing in the book. So what do I do then? You know? Um, But with, yeah. So the last question I was thinking to ask is like, are there kind of three top tips that you would give to people who can't work with like, you know, a nutritionist and they're just doing this at home that you would suggest for eating well with endo or just reducing their pain with endo? Yeah, so I I mean, this is a general tip that's not directly uh, kind of um, diet related, but I would say trying uh, to weave in um, relaxation and mm-hmm. joy into your day wherever you can, can make such a huge difference. Um so that's that's probably the first thing. The second thing, I think, talking around kind of disordered eating and and being kind of confused about food is try not to get hung up on food being the cure or the yeah. downfall because it's a lot of pressure to put on one area mm-hmm. when working with endo such a holistic um, journey. It's definitely a part of the journey but it's it's not the absolute you know answer and only answer so um yeah that's that's probably the next thing um and I think the third thing if you're if you're on your own and you can't work with a practitioner I if you've got to a place where you're really confused and really overwhelmed I would say simplify everything. Just take it back to the basics Mm -hmm. and just take a breath and just for a little bit, just analyze where you've been and then you can make a plan for where you want to start again. But um, if if you can't work with a practitioner and you're in over your head and you feel overwhelmed, just just gather yourself for a moment and I would say just just take it back to the basics just um just focus on on the the pillars of your diet so you know anti-inflammatory styly side of eating you know fruits and vegetables as much as as you feel work for your body good balanced meals I can't be can't be um understated how much just a, a balanced meal can do for you um and yeah just enjoy food just enjoy it (laughs) 
Thank you. I think people are going to love this episode. And yeah, I've had requests to talk about this subject and I just wanted to make sure I talked about it with someone who, um, you know, was experienced in it and, and was working in it. So thank you so much. Um, Lastly, where can people find you? And if they want to work with you, how do they do that? Cool. So uh, the, my Instagram is the underscore endo underscore expert. Um, I've got a link to my website on my Instagram. My website is the endometriosisexpert.com. And um, there's a little contact um, icon at the top. Uh, yeah, at the top. And that will uh, take you through to a link um, where you can book in a discovery call. Like um, lots of people in this industry, I do discovery calls first. So we'll have a conversation um, completely free where we can discuss how we can work together and whether nutritional therapy is the right thing for you. Amazing. Molly, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so sorry it's been two hours. I might <laughs> I might have okay. to split this it. into part one and two. Maybe that maybe that will be a bit easier for people. Um yeah. yeah, thank you so much. It's been such an honor to have you on. I have just found it so fascinating. So um yeah, hopefully we can have you on the show for a third time because this is probably gonna be oh. part one and two. We'll have a part three at some point. Um yeah. so yeah, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. Right, take care. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to know more about managing endometriosis, you feel lost, you need some support, or you're just interested in one-to-one coaching for endometriosis, then you can check out my one-to-one coaching program on my website. The link is in the show notes, or you can just email me directly and we can book in a time to have a complimentary chat. And I can tell you a little bit about what coaching is and you can share with me what you're struggling with and we can see whether we can help you. My email is hello at thisendolife.com. I look forward to hearing from you. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, You can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.